Welcome to the Ridley College Chapel podcast. Our mission is to equip men and women for God's mission in a rapidly changing and increasingly complex world. For more information, visit ridley.edu.au. This morning's reading is from Psalm 78. Um, It's a big psalm, so Graham very kindly has broken it up for us. Uh, We're going to read verses 1 to 8 and then 65 to 72. My people, hear my teaching. Listen to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth with a parable. I will utter hidden things, things from of old, things we have heard and known, things our ancestors have told us. We will not hide them from their descendants. We will tell the next generation the praiseworthy deeds of the Lord, his power and the wonders he has done. He decreed statutes for Jacob and established the law in Israel, which he commanded our ancestors to teach their children so that the next generation would know them, even the children yet to be born, and they in turn would tell their children. Then they would put their trust in God and would not forget his deeds but keep his commands. They would not be like their ancestors, a stubborn and rebellious generation whose hearts were not loyal to God, whose spirits were not faithful to him. And now from verse 65 over the page. Then the Lord awoke as from sleep, as a warrior wakes from the stupor of wine. He beat back his enemies. He put them to everlasting shame. Then he rejected the tents of Joseph. He did not choose the tribe of Ephraim, but he chose the tribe of Judah, Mount Zion, which he loved. He built his sanctuary like the heights, like the earth that he established forever. He chose David, his servant, and took him from the sheepfolds. From tending the sheep, he brought him to be the shepherd of his people, Jacob, of Israel, his inheritance. And David shepherded them with integrity of heart, with skillful hands, he led them. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, everybody. Uh, I remember the first time that I went to uh, youth group when I was in year 10, uh, back in the late 1900s. Um, (laughs) We had to get into small groups on that first night and share with one another what we were looking forward to about coming to uh, youth group in this coming year. And I remember saying to the other guys in my group that I was looking forward to getting to know some people and making some friends. And then we were to pray together and distinct memory of this uh, guy in year 11 in the group who prayed and he asked that I would get to know Jesus. And I remember putting my head up thinking, that's not what I said. (laughs) (laughs) But, you know, over the next uh, three years, I went to youth group. We had breakfast club every Friday morning, small group during the week, went to church, went to camps, we went on holidays uh, together. And over that time, that prayer was answered. And so for three years in the mid-1980s, my journey through senior high school took me from a kid who thought that being a Christian meant being good and not getting the cane at school to being somebody who could testify, Psalm 34 verse 8, taste and see that the Lord is good and I tasted and I saw. 
so that by the end of year 12, I could say with Paul in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 12, I know whom I have believed and I'm convinced that he is able to guard what I have entrusted to him until that final day. The title of this sermon is Who Will Tell Our Children's Grandchildren About Jesus? Grandchildren have been a little bit on my mind uh, recently um, uh, since my eldest daughter got engaged. Now, I know I'm not a grandfather yet, um, but it does feel a little bit like I'm standing at the end of a long corridor and all the doors between me and grandparenthood are about to spring open. Of course, there are no guarantees, and hear me say very clearly, there are no expectations, there are no (laughs) requirements or demands. But I wonder, uh, what will life be like for our grandchildren? What will life be like for our children's grandchildren? What will it be like to be a teenager in 2075? I wonder what their experience of church will be. I wonder whether they'll have a youth ministry to go to like I did. I wonder. Who will tell our children's grandchildren about Jesus? And my question comes from Psalm 78, verses 3 through 6. Hear this great relay race of intergenerational faith transmission. Verse 3 speaks of our ancestors, those from whom we first heard the faith. Uh, And then verse 4 has their descendants, that's us, and those of our uh, generation. And then we hand on what we have received to the next generation, that's our children. And verses 5 and 6 has the same three generations, our ancestors, their children, and the next generation. But then verse 6 looks further still to the children yet to be born and then further still to their children, our children's grandchildren. Who will tell our children's grandchildren about Jesus? Psalm 78 is long and mostly depressing. It is a, uh, essentially a sad and sorry recount of uh, Israel's years in the wilderness, those verses we jumped over from 9 through to 64. But there is a repeated cycle in this story, which we know from reading the Old Testament. God provides salvation or blessing. God's people whinge and moan. God responds in judgment. And the people turn back to God for a time, but quickly turn back to their old ways and the cycle repeats. Come with me to the centre of the psalm, verses 32 to 37. Give us a bit of a summary. It says, in spite of all this, they, that is God's people, kept on sinning. In spite of God's wonders, they did not believe. So he ended their days in futility and their years in terror. Whenever God slew them, they would seek him. They eagerly turned to him again. They remembered that God was their rock, that God most high was their redeemer, but then they would flatter him with their mouths, lying to him with their tongues. Their hearts were not loyal to him. They were not faithful to his covenant. And in a way, the church's engagement with young people can tell the same sort of 
story. We look through history and there are times where we can speak of God's extraordinary blessing upon ministries among children and young people, extraordinary blessings to the church from the ministry of children and young people. And a lot of times where the church has dropped the ball. In recent years in Australia, on average, the children regularly involved in church at age 11, of those children, by the time they reach the age of 20, 72% of them will no longer attend church regularly. 39% will not attend at all and 46% of them will claim they have no religion. In the budget to be presented at this week's Synod, in the year to come, the Anglican Diocese of Melbourne intends to spend more money on archiving than it will on support for children's and youth ministry. Just think about that for a moment. It's sort of a pathetic, prophetic sign. Closer to home, perhaps you have your own personal story. You know of young people who used to be part of your fellowship, perhaps even your own children or grandchildren who no longer sit with you when you go to church. And maybe you carry a burden of grief, perhaps even guilt. Now, I'm not here to add to that burden, quite the contrary. Psalm 78 is a depressing story, as so much of our children's and youth ministry these days is. But Psalm 78 ultimately is a story that's full of hope. The opening verses are essentially saying, listen, (laughs) pay attention here, not just to be rebuked, but to learn. Verse 2 describes this psalm as a parable. This obviously is not the kind of illustrative story that Jesus tells, but still a story with meaning, a story that will reveal things, things that have been hidden. Here is something wise and deep, a warts and all story, but pay attention. There are things to hear, to learn here. And what is it that we see when we pay attention to Israel's story. It's that despite their faithlessness, God remains faithful. When I read from verses 32 to 37 before, I cut this summary section short because it goes on, despite everything that God's people did, God continues to meet them with grace and mercy. Read with me from verse 38. Yet God was merciful. He forgave their iniquities and did not destroy them. Time after time he restrained his anger, did not stir up his full wrath. He remembered that they were but flesh, a passing breeze that does not return. And, of course, we can tell the same story of God's mercy and kindness. When the Australian church adults are interviewed and asked, uh, if you can remember an age, at what age did you first make a commitment to Jesus? 80% of the Australian church says that they made a commitment to Jesus before the age of 20. God has graciously given to our churches people like Beck. People, I don't know where Beck is now. There she is. People who are gifted, committed, long-term vocational ministers among children 
and young people. And more generally, of course, all of us can speak of God's daily mercy and kindness. We can give thanks for life and health and safety, for freedom to work, leisure to rest, and for all that's beautiful in creation and human life. That's the message at the centre of Psalm 78, that God is with us, full of forgiveness and patience and steadfast love. And our job is to hand that message on to the next generation. In this grand vision of intergenerational faith transmission across five generations, our task is clear in verse 4. We will tell the next generation, the praiseworthy deeds of the Lord, his power and the wonders that he has done. Notice the emphasis in these verses on speaking and learning. Verse 1, hear my teaching, listen to my words. Verse 2, I will open my mouth, I will utter hidden things. Verse 3, things we have heard that our ancestors told us. Verse 4, we will tell the next generation. Verse 6, the children yet to be born will tell their children. We speak, of course, because God has spoken. Verse 5, he decreed statutes and established the law in Israel, not just instructions, more than just the Ten Commandments, the Torah, the stories of God's covenant, of God's relationship of love with his people. We're not given here instructions about colouring in. Our goal is not simply to entertain young people. Yes, our ministries are to be bathed in relational connectedness and accompanying through and through, but at its heart must be a declaration of the good news of God's praiseworthy deeds, his power, the wonders that he has done. And notice who gets to do this. Who is given this grand privilege of taking their place in this relay of intergenerational faith transmission? Verse 1, it is my people. Verse 4, we, this generation. This isn't the job of any one individual whether offloading the responsibility to some youth minister or carrying the burden alone as a parent. This is the responsibility and privilege of the whole people of God. Together as God's people, we create a community of belonging where children and young people can come to meet God. You know, when I get asked, you know, tell me about your family, they often say, well, I've got three, oh, well, between three and five children. Um, there's a boy um, and, uh, and then two girls. One of them's name is um, like Julia or Juliet or, or something like that. And there's another girl um, uh, who looks similar. Uh, and there's another one who, who comes around often, but I don't think she's actually one of ours. Um, <laughs> And you'd look at me and you'd think, what sort of parent are you? <laughs> Ask any adult in the church. Who are the young people in your church family? Oh, 
Well, there are a few. I know there are some. Two hot tips from research into how do we, how do we be this sort of community of belonging, all of us. Research into factors that help young people stay connected with the church and continue in faith beyond their young adult years. Number one, flip the ratios. In, in children's ministry, we know about child safe ratios. For every five children, you need at least one adult. Now, you need two adults in the room for child safe, but then uh, every you know, extra five, you need another adult for adequate supervision. Okay? In youth ministry, we need to flip the ratios. That every young person needs five non-parent adults who can speak into their lives. And research has shown that if a young person has those five people that they can call upon, much more likely to stay in the life of the, of the church. Could you be one of those five non-parent adults for a teenager in your church? And the second suggestion is to do that is to say hello. So that when you come to church and, and you see a teenager come towards you and you say, hey, Beck, good to see you. And it actually is Beck. <laughs> then that young person is more likely to stay in church if, when they turn up to church, people address them by name. That's it. You don't have to do Bible study with them, although that could be good. You don't have to particularly, you know, engage in their life. Could you just say hello to them and use their name? I spoke to someone the other day who's new at a church. The only people that have spoken to their teenage son are people that come and converse with them as adults. But he's a person who is new at this church. And, and, but just because the person is smaller, younger than others, they're not addressed. These things enable us to create a community of belonging for young people. Now, there's plenty more to be said. So sign up for DE037, semester one next year. <laughs> but returning to Psalm 78, what is our goal? Our goal is there in verse 7. Not just that the story would be told. Not just that an institution would be maintained. But that young people's lives would be changed. Verse 7, then they would put their trust in God would not forget his deeds but would keep his commands, not just being moral but knowing God, finding life in him. And notice that the alternative isn't neutral. Left without God's word, verse 8 says, they'll be like their ancestors, stubborn and rebellious, hearts not loyal to God, unfaithful in spirit. Psalm 78 invites the whole church into the joy of children's and youth ministry to take up our shared privilege to be this next link in the chain of handing on the faith to the next generation. We share these stories of faith, stories full of human failure, but full of God's enduring grace and mercy. And we look to God to call our young people to himself. Of course, there are no guarantees Ask any youth leader, any parent, they'll tell you discipling young people isn't like using a vending machine. There's no secret technique that will guarantee faith. 
Let me say to you who are particularly burdened for young people you know and love, who don't seem interested in faith, would you remember that this is a marathon, not a sprint? Play the long game. Be as patient with your young people as God has been patient with you. Remember that you don't carry this burden on your own. And remember what we learned from Psalm 78. We will never have reason for hope if we rely on the strength of our own faithfulness. The turning point of Psalm 78 comes in verse 65. There are so many wonderful metaphors for God that we're given in the Old Testament. Shepherd, father, gardener, all great kids' church craft ideas in those. (laughs) Psalm 78 verse 65 gives us God is like a drunken soldier. (laughs) Then the Lord awoke as from sleep, as a warrior wakes from the stupor of wine. After this seemingly unending cycle of faithless disobedience, the light of hope comes when God himself leaps into action and God calls David from among the sheep pens. David, the unlikely leader that everyone else has overlooked. David will be a shepherd, a good shepherd who leads with integrity and skill. And we know in the fullness of the story that David continues the story of the ancestors, but his story points forward to the Lord Jesus, the unlikely leader who others overlooked, the good shepherd who laid down his life for his sheep and who leads us with integrity and skill into God's good future. As we engage in this privilege of sharing the good news of God with the next generation, would we make sure that our stories, our words to our young people are full of the Lord Jesus Christ? Would we make sure that our hearts are full of the Lord Jesus Christ, human failure met with the mercy and kindness and power of God? The future of the church does not rest on young people. Though without them, we don't have much of a future. The future of the church doesn't rest on the shoulders of one children's or youth minister. Although for those of you with the gifts and the courage and the good sense to take up a vocation of children's and youth ministry, you take on a significant role. One that you need to fulfil with integrity and passion and all the strength that God provides. The future of the church doesn't rest on parents, but parents have an influence, a depth of influence on their children that is unrivaled. The future of the church doesn't even rest on us, on this generation. Yet, of course, if we do fail in our responsibility of handing on the faith, then the message stops with us. But all of us are servants of the Most High King. And the future of the church rests on his promise that he will build his church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And so with that great promise, with conviction in all that God is doing and knowing his character of mercy and kindness, let's embark on this privilege, this responsibility, this joy, 
to share with the next generation the praiseworthy deeds of the Lord, his power, the wonders that he has done, the good news of Christ, so that our children's grandchildren would live to the praise of the Lord Jesus. Amen. 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 Amen.